Thanks for listening to this Table Church Sermon Podcast. We are in a sermon series right now called Signs of the Kingdom, where we're taking a look at the seven miraculous signs that Jesus gave in the book of John. What we're learning is that when Jesus performs a miracle, it's never just a miracle. There's always something deeper for us to learn about who God is and about who we are. After all, that's what signs do. They communicate a message. Our prayer is that this sermon will help you know what God is saying to you today. Feel free to reach out to us by emailing hello at tablechurchdsm.org. Thanks for listening. Now, here's this week's teaching. Good morning. Please open your Bibles for this morning's scripture reading. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and the greeters will come bring you one. Uh, Today's scripture comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. It's on page 864 of the church Bibles. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and learned that he had been there in that condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Amen. Thank you, Trevor. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Table Church. And I just want to reiterate some things that Moses said if this is your first time, if you're new, um, would love to meet you briefly at the top of the steps out here in the lobby. We have the Welcome Center, have a little gift we'd love to give you, and I just want to be able to meet you and, and say hello. So be sure to stop by. So uh, it feels like forever ago, but there was a time before this pandemic, and um, there was a time where you know every stuffy nose or cough wouldn't necessarily keep us home, away from doing things. In fact, I remember as a kid growing up, sometimes you know getting sick, you wake up on a like a Wednesday and you're feeling a little under the weather and you're like, sweet, I might not have to go to school today. See, there's like this, I don't know, there's this narrow zone where you're sick enough that you don't have to go to school, but you're not so sick that you just feel miserable. So you get to lay in bed and eat ice chips made out of Kool-Aid and watch cartoons all day and it's just perfect. But as we know, all things come to an end and you know, your parents are going to go to school and get the packet of work that you missed from your teacher, and you're going to have to sit there that evening and work on all that stuff. And, 
you're, it's going to be a little harder because you missed the lesson, so you're not necessarily going to know how to do it. And then you go to, you go to school the next day, and um, you're just a little bit behind. You don't quite know what's going on. At least for me, I always felt a little disoriented on that first day back after being gone. And what we find out sometimes is that getting well isn't all it's cracked up to be. Sometimes we'd rather just stay home in bed a little longer. Jesus' question to the paralyzed man in our passage today is a bit haunting to me. He says, do you want to get well? The answer, of course, seems obvious. Of course he wants to get well, Jesus. That's a silly question. He's been crippled for 38 years. Who wouldn't want to get well? But is it really silly? Because sometimes getting well isn't all it's cracked up to be. And here's the truth. Getting well also means getting up. Getting up means standing on your own two feet. It means new responsibilities and new challenges and new expectations and new accountability. Maybe it's not so silly of Jesus to ask the man if he wanted to get well. I mean, imagine how disorienting it would be to be able to walk all of a sudden. I don't know if this man had family in town or what. I mean, maybe you'd have to go find work. He had probably not been apprenticed into any particular trade. Maybe now he's expected to be at certain places at certain times that wasn't expected of him before. I don't know what this would have done for his life. And look, I'm not saying that you're worse off being able to walk than you are not being able to walk. I'm just saying his life would have changed immensely. And I wonder if in that question, Jesus is saying, have you thought through that? I'm sure there was an initial thrill of being healed, but I wonder if there was a moment where things started to dawn on him. Whoa, everything is different now. This changes everything about my life. Maybe it's not a silly question at all. Do you want to get well? Because getting well also means getting up. This miracle that Jesus performs is the third sign in the book of John. We're in a series called Signs of the Kingdom. We're looking at the seven signs that John records in his gospel. And uh, what we're learning is that a sign, for John, a sign is more than a miracle. It's not just a miracle. The significance of a sign is not just in the fact that Jesus did something cool, that he did something amazing or supernatural. There's always something more to them, a message to them. You could even put it like this. Signs always have a message. Think about any regular sign that you see, a stop sign or a billboard. They're always communicating something, aren't they? Whether it's a sign that we see every day when we're driving or one of Jesus' miraculous signs. There's a message that it is communicating to us. And if you simply look at the miraculous display of power, it's kind of like be like, wow, look at that red octagon thing as you drive right on by. No, it has a message. You're supposed to stop. And so to miss the message and only see the miracle is to miss the whole point of the passage. Now, the people in Jesus' day had their own ideas about how to be made well. And what we're going to find in our passage that we're going to look at today is that Jesus, uh, the, what the, the sign is telling us not simply that Jesus can heal paralyzed legs. It's going to tell us a whole lot more than that. The people in Jesus' day had their own ideas about how to be made well. There was this pool called Bethesda. We've excavated this pool. We've, ex- archaeologists have found it. It's a pretty big complex. I have a picture of it up here uh, in Israel. And the legend goes that sometimes these waters would get stirred up. And the people at the time, we don't really know what that means, but people at the time, they attributed it to some sort of supernatural phenomenon, okay? 
And the legend was that if you could be the first one down into the water uh, by the time, you know, once it was stirred up, then you would be healed of whatever physical ailment you had. And so you can imagine people like sitting around waiting for the waters to start to bubble or to stir, and then boom, they're just making a beeline down into the water. And for, I mean, obviously being the first one in would be a challenge for a paralyzed man. He even says, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So for 38 years, this guy tries to be the first one into the pool in order to be healed, but he never could make it. And then in just a few words, Jesus does, I mean, he shows his superiority over this pagan, this superstitious ritual. He just commands the man, get up, and boom, his legs are better. He's cured at once, and he walks away carrying his mat. Now, the story could very well have ended there, couldn't it? It's like, whoa, look at that, Jesus, he can heal legs, that's amazing. That's a good story, but it doesn't end there. Remember, these aren't just miracles, they're signs. And signs always have a message. The rest of the story is what gives us the message we're supposed to hear. The man, immediately after being healed, has to deal with the implications of being made well. He has to, he goes and he runs in, for all of 10 minutes later, he's got cranky religious authorities on his back. It says, the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. Naturally, you and I are like, come on guys. He's been crippled his whole life. Get off his back. Who cares if he's carrying his mat? There's bigger things going on here than the fact that he's carrying his mat on the Sabbath, right? Stop being so petty. But you and I are conditioned to think about things through the lens of Jesus. We think about the Sabbath through the lens of Jesus. Of course, a person can be healed on the Sabbath. Why wouldn't you be able to carry your mat on the Sabbath? We've been influenced by Jesus. They hadn't been yet. The truth is, they're actually just trying to live out what the Old Testament says. For example, Jeremiah 17, 21 says, This is what the Lord says. Be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day or bring it through the gates of Jerusalem. So there's this clear precedent that suggests the religious leaders, they were not being absurd. They were just being biblical. And in their minds, it's like, hey, how is God ever going to come rescue us from our Roman oppressors if we keep sinning? People Come on, get it together. Stop carrying stuff on the Sabbath. Is that so hard? That's what was in their minds. Eventually, they tracked down Jesus. They essentially put Jesus on trial for healing a man on the Sabbath and encouraging him to break the law. At which point, Jesus unveils the true meaning of our sign today. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Here's the meaning of the sign. It's not that Jesus can heal paralyzed legs. It's that Jesus made the legs. It's not that Jesus has power over nature. It's that Jesus created nature. It's that Jesus cannot break the Sabbath because the Sabbath points to Jesus. That's the meaning of the sign. By healing someone on the Sabbath, Jesus shows that he is equal with God. That's what we would have understood through this ancient kind of Jewish matrix that they're seeing it through. It's like, what? This guy is saying something about himself that's blasphemy. He's saying that he's God. 
that's the meaning of the sign. But if that's the case, it means Jesus is more than just a magician. It means that when Jesus asks, do you want to get well, he's talking about more than your legs. He's talking about more than your physical body. This is clear. And a few verses later, Jesus runs into the man that he had just healed. He runs into him again. The guy's walking now, and Jesus, what does he say to him? He tells him to stop sinning. Because getting well for Jesus is about more than having legs that work. It's about having a heart that works. And we tend to focus on the wonder of the miracle, but we miss the message underneath. When Jesus asks the man if he wants to get well, he's not just talking about his legs. He's talking about his heart. He's not just asking the man if he wants to leave a life of being crippled. He's asking if he wants to leave a life of sin. Here's what it means to get well. Getting well means getting involved with God. And here's the problem with that. When we get involved with God, it gets messy. The man in the story got involved with Jesus. He was healed by Jesus. Now he's got this association with Jesus. And so immediately things start to get messy with him. He, he gets questioned by the authorities. Now he's like in trouble. Eventually Jesus is on trial. Getting involved with God means getting involved in some messy stuff sometimes. Look, do you ever think about how convenient it would be to not be a Christian sometimes? Sometimes it feels like it would be very convenient not to follow Jesus. Like there's times where maybe you take a stand for something that's not very popular, or you know, maybe it means that there's times where you realize you've got to step up in some area of your life. Maybe it means, you know, well, it does mean that you have to love people that you don't like very much, even your enemies. In fact, I'll even push it a little further. Um, you maybe have heard this, the phrase, you have to love them, but you don't have to like them. You know what, though? I think God actually likes them too. And I think God calls us to be like him and to see people like he does. What if we're called to like people we don't like? <laughs> you know what that requires? That requires a long journey of transformation. You're not, you can't. You can't just do that. People that are a jerk to you, like you can't just like them. But God does. And to follow Jesus means to figure out, to learn how to have that kind of heart and those kinds of eyes, that kind of spirit towards people. What a remarkable love that is that we're called to. But you know what it's not? It's not convenient. And yet that's what we're asked to be. To be a Jesus follower means that you'll be misunderstood, means that you're called to resist temptation, that you must love everybody and be humble. None of that is necessarily convenient. Taking up your mat and walking into a difficult world is hard, and I suspect some of us here would rather stay on our mat. If this is what we're talking about here, if it's having to learn to love and to like people that we don't want to, ah, I'm good, Jesus. I'll stay on my mat. Because being made well means leaving behind old habits. It means making amends for things that you've done. It means taking responsibility for your loved ones. You know, when your loved ones have learned to be a caretaker for you all the time, now you've got to take responsibility for things. Some of us would just rather stay on the mat. And here's the problem we face. Getting well means getting up. It means you got to get up and you got to, you got to take those steps. Jesus didn't heal the man's legs so he could stay on the mat. He told him to get up, to take his mat, to go out into the world and face the challenges that would now come, not because of the fact that he could now walk, but face the challenges that would come because he was now associated with Jesus. 
That's what happens when we're made well. We must do the hard work of living with past mistakes. The addict must now do the hard work of learning to navigate life without their security blanket. Or the father must now step up and and do what he has to do for his family or his kids. Getting well in the Bible is not a magic wand. Jesus' miracles are not there to fix your problems. They're there to invite you to a new way of life. And when we accept that new way of living, that is the miracle. That is the truest and the deepest miracle. When a heart is transformed, when somebody sees the truth that is only in Christ, that is when we see the true miracle. So the question we began with, do you want to get well? It's possible I've done too good of a job of discussing the challenges of getting up, and you're thinking, well, I would rather actually just stay on my mat. Thank you very much. It's true, getting involved with God is difficult. Pursuing holiness is difficult, but... You want to know what's more difficult? Living a life apart from God? Living a life of sin? That's harder. A life that is perpetually dictated by uncontrolled desires and disordered habits? That's hard. A life that requires the approval of the people around you in order to feel good about yourself? That's hard. A life that is spent bowing at the altar of the gods of this age like funny and money and fame. Funny. Image and power. That's hard. So is talking sometimes. <laughs> a life of sloth where your highest aspiration is to make it to the lazy boy at the end of the day, but you still kind of feel this dissatisfaction in life. That's hard. It feels easier in the moment, but over the course of your life you will realize that I have taken the hard way. A life of lies where you must constantly remember who thinks what about you. That's hard. A life of perpetual shame because you never measure up to the incessant demands of a graceless society. That is hard. Listen, getting up is hard, but staying down, that's harder. Because when you get up, you are now walking in the way of Jesus. You are walking, I like to say it, with the grain of the universe. You are walking with the current of life, the way that it was supposed to be lived, the way that the author made it to live. Now, you're going to encounter, um, you're going to encounter resistance from people who aren't going that way, but believe me, it is the way that it was supposed to be. We don't get to opt out of what's hard. The question is, you want to be in step with God or don't you? So what area of your life do you need to get up? Maybe you've got kids and Maybe you're not discipling them very well. You're not, you don't have the intentionality you wish you had in pouring into your kids. You know, I, I've mentioned this to you guys. We just got a puppy at the Wiseman house, and so it's kind, of, it's kind of been my job to train the puppy and make sure he's just not like this wild tornado all the time, at least. And uh, so I've been spending a lot of time doing some training with our dog. I actually kind of enjoyed it. I just... I think, I don't know if I've said this or not, I think it's crazy that you can communicate with another species. You know, that's cool. And so I've enjoyed that a lot, and I've been uh, watching YouTube videos and working with the dog and stuff, and um, I, said, I did come to the realization that I said to my wife, I was like, yeah, I need to be as intentional about discipling our kids as I am in training our dog. You ever have that moment where you're like, ooh, God kind of gave me a zinger there, and I'm like, yeah, good point. <laughs> How am I doing with something that's infinitely more important in life? How are you modeling to your kids the fact that God matters, that worship matters, that the community matters? 
What do you want your kids to leave home knowing? Do you want them to leave home knowing, you know what, I'll, I'll tell you what mattered to my mom and dad. God matters to my mom and dad. Look, I understand how precious weekends are and how hard it can be to get kids ready. But here's something I've learned in ministry that seems to often be the case. It's not like a hard and fast principle of the universe, but seems to be a pattern that I've noticed. It's this. When the parents don't emphasize church, the kids won't emphasize God. It's almost like, in their minds, it's the next logical progression. Well, if that's not important to them, then that's not important to me. And I'm not just talking about the hour on Sunday. I'm not just talking about this right here, even though I think worship matters too. I'm talking about the community that we're called to be responsible toward, you know? What is a church other than kind of this network of people where I'm like, okay, how can I help that person grow towards the Lord? How can I help her grow in her walk with God? How can I bless their kids? I mean, what is a church other than all of us together kind of saying, hey, I have responsibility for your spiritual growth to some degree. Your walk with God is my business to some level. And mine is yours as well. Because when I'm not healthy, you're not healthy. When you're not healthy, I'm not healthy. Isn't that what a church is supposed to be? Hey, this is kind of wild. I, listen, parents, there are people in this church who every other Sunday morning, they give up their morning to disciple your children and they do it for free. Like they just want your kids to know the most important information that there is. And they say, you know what? I'm going to come, I'm going to pour into these kids every other Sunday at least. Wow. And, and, and there's people who come up on stage. We get here at like 6.30 in the morning sometimes, some of us do, to set up and to make this happen because we want you to be able to connect with the Lord on Sunday morning. I don't want you to come here. I hope, I hope that you get, like something happens, you know what I mean? Like it's not just going through motions and watching something on the stage. Like I hope that every Sunday when you come to table church, you're like, I can tell you what happened, what God did in that place in my heart. That's what the worship team does, the tech team. And, you know, there's people who realize that every single week, some of you just have, I mean, you get beat up. And there are not very many places in your life where you can be greeted with a smile and handshake, where somebody can say, hey, we're glad you're here. We'll never know how much that matters to some people. But there's those of us here who do it because we are a church. And what is a church other than all of us together moving towards God and helping each other towards God? So maybe some of you need to step up in discipling your kids. Um, maybe it's in other places. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your study of God's word. Maybe it's in physical health and physical fitness. God gave you one body. That's a pretty valuable gift, don't you think? You only get one. Um, I had a, I knew a guy in college. Uh, he was actually a professor at the school I went to, and uh, he used to be on staff. He was a pastor on staff at a church in California, and this church was the church that Bob Taylor attended. Bob Taylor is the guy who started Taylor Guitars. He's the owner of Taylor Guitars, which is, you know, 
most any acoustic guitarist will tell you, is arguably one of the best, if not arguably the best, guitar manufacturer in the world. And so Bob Taylor, this guy I know, this former professor, was, his, was Bob Taylor's kid's youth pastor. And so uh, Bob Taylor had like custom Taylor guitars made for him and like for his kids. And it's got like their names engraved in the headstock and stuff like that. And I'm just like, whoa, these are like probably $3,000, $4,000 guitars. They just gave to him just because. None of you guys own a guitar business, do you? Because if you do, you should let me know. No. Um, he was, it's, it's so, and so this, this guy, he has these free guitars. I'm like, that's amazing. You know? you know, if I got that, I'll tell you what I wouldn't do. I wouldn't leave the guitar out in the rain. I wouldn't leave it out when it's 30 below zero. I wouldn't like drop the guitar all the time. You know what I'm saying? Like when you get something that precious, you're going to take care of it. But you know what? God gave you a body <laughs> and you only get one. And it's worth more than a million Taylor guitars. And it apparently works reasonably well because you all are here, you know? Like we should take care of this precious gift that God gave us. Anyway, that's a long tangent. Maybe you need to step up in emotional maturity, you know? Like maybe... Maybe you need to do what you need to do in order to find healing from a past wound. I know that in my own life, I'm just talking about me for a second. Sometimes if something bad happens, I kind of like to hold on to it. Like, I got a little ammunition now. You know, I can be like, oh, you think that's bad? I got it worse. And when Jesus says, Phil, do you want to be made well? I'm like, I don't know. But then do I lose my ammunition? Maybe I want to stay on the mat. Maybe I don't want to be healed. And we do this all the time. But that's not the way of Jesus, is it? When we don't do that, we miss out on the miracle. Here's an area of my life that God showed me as I was writing this sermon. I've shared it with you guys before, but look, we haven't seen a new person come to Christ at Table Church in a long time. And it's just like God's just like, I don't know, he got his thumb on me about this right now. I think that's an area where we as a whole church need to get up but I think I need to lead it. I think if I'm not doing it, then how can I expect anyone else to? I could keep us here till three in the afternoon telling you all wonderful stories about the incredible things God is doing in people's lives. Some of you I know have found a tremendous amount of healing and hope and all that stuff from, from Table Church, that God is doing something here, and I don't want to minimize any of that at all, not for a second. But this sermon isn't about papering over things. It's about taking an honest look at where I need to get up and be made well, and I can't deny that this is one of those. Our mission is to invite people to the way of Jesus. I don't know, maybe you all have some bad experiences with evangelism from your past. I know that I do. You ever did this thing? You know, you knock on a door and you're like, if you were to die tonight, you know, like that, that's not pleasant, is it, for anybody? I remember in college, um, <laughs> there was this ministry in college, like hundreds of kids would go to. And uh, then they had like a midweek or something, or maybe it was a Sunday night kind of thing where like, hey, come do street evangelism with us. And uh, I thought, okay, there's hundreds of kids at the main event, so surely a few will show up at the evangelism event. I'd come, i show up, guess how many came? Just me. <laughs> and so it's me and the college pastor walking around the campus in Iowa City and we're like walking up to random people and it's like, hey, do you know Jesus Christ? Would you like to pray to accept him as your, you know, all this stuff? And uh, I just remember there's a guy using like a payphone and a hoodie and, um, 
And I, I, the youth pastor had done the first, or the college pastor had done the first few of them, and he's like, okay, now it's your turn. You go do it. I'm like, okay. And so I go up to this guy, and he just hangs up the phone. I'm like, hey, um, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And he's like, no. I'm like, would you like to? He's like, sure. And then I put my hand on his shoulder and pray for him, and he walks off into the night. Like, that was my first, that was my first convert. And... Um, evangelism doesn't have to be like that, okay? It doesn't have to be like that. In fact, Jesus gives us a different model. He talks about how like, when you go into a village or you go to somebody's home, like if it's a person of peace, then like you'll find the sense of peace resting there, you know? In other words, there are people in your life. Who's that person who's like, hey, what was the name of that church you said you go to again? That might be a sign that the Holy Spirit's working in their heart. Who's that person in your life that doesn't go to church, doesn't have any sort of spirituality necessarily that you think of, but maybe they've come to you and be like, hey, I know you pray sometimes. Would you pray for me about this? Might be a person of peace. Who's that person in your life that, like, if you ever do bring up church or bring up God or bring up anything spiritual, they kind of seem interested. They're not like, they don't put a wall up. They're They're leaning in a little bit. That might be somebody who the Holy Spirit is working on. You don't have to go climb mountains or kick or bust through brick walls in order to do this. God is already doing his perfect will in people's hearts. It's just our job to have eyes and ears open to discern it when he does. So maybe you need to start, maybe we need to start just saying, God, just open my eyes, first of all, to the the people of peace in my life, the people that you're already working in, that you've brought me into their sphere of influence for some reason. And I just need to be aware of it. And when we start having those, those sorts of, I don't know, eyes to see, it can be remarkable what God can do. Anyway, that's my confession for today and the thing that I'm praying about. I hope that you'll join me. But I want you to identify the specific area in your life where you need to get up. Maybe you're realizing that you just don't know the Lord. Maybe you need to follow Jesus today. Look, if that's you, then I want to simply, it's simple. Just on your connection card, just say, you can, there's a cross in there, and then you just circle it. And I will personally reach out to you. And we'll talk about what that looks like. But what's that area in your life that you know that you need to get up? I'm, I've talked a lot now. So I'm, if you're engaged in this at all, then God has he's brought it up. He's put his finger on it for you. So as you came in today, you should have received a, a card, um, I think it says, time to get up on it, <laughs> and I commit to. Look, I'm not going to have you drop it in a bucket. I'm not going to have you give it to me. I want, this is for you. You get to keep this. This is kind of your moment to just take with the Lord and say, Lord, I, I've, been, I've been avoiding this. I don't want to do this, but I know I should. I should have that conversation. I should talk to that person. I should deal with this past life event. Um, I should deal with this addiction. I need to confess this habit. Whatever it is in your life right now, would you have the courage to get up? Would you have the courage to, to obey Jesus in it? That's all I'm asking today. That's what I want us to do. And remember, it's hard to get up, but it's harder not to. There's a life of freedom available to you in Christ. So let's, let's pursue him in that. Would you pray with me? Well, Jesus, I ask that in these moments, um, perhaps somebody here is kind of wrestling do I really want to take that step? It can be scary. It's, it's stepping into a new existence of life without this thing 
that I've had for so long, and that can be scary sometimes. But Lord, help them to see the freedom, the intimacy with you that comes through it. And Lord, just the realization that that is infinitely better, infinitely better. So God, as we commit these things to you, would you give us the power the strength to walk? I pray all these things in your name.